today to my topic. And Joyce, let's leave nothing up yet. Okay, let me, let me begin. So God does something really crazy. The Bible tells us that God creates a world and he gives to humans the ability to choose. I really wish he hadn't done that. Because a whole lot of problems came out of that fact that he created a world in which people could choose. And so, as you know, he gave instruction not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but only to eat of all the rest of the trees, including the tree of life. As soon as you are given instructions, you now have a choice. Do I obey or do I disobey? Do I comply or do I rebel? Well, you already know what happened. We chose to rebel. Human beings chose to be tempted and chose to follow that temptation and to birth sin. And that created a broken world. That's why you and I hurt today. That's why you and I sin today. That's why you and I experience suffering today. Everything of our world's reality emanates and flows out of that choice. Unless you take Adam and Eve's name in vain, please understand that you and I have also participated in that choice over and over again, ratifying their choice by our choice. Can I get an amen from everybody? Let's just be honest with ourselves. We also have known what is right and have chosen at least once in our life not to do it. God then made a choice in the midst of that. And that choice was to not abandon us, but rather to continue to love us. And the scriptures tell us in John chapter 3 that he loved us, and because he loved us, he came and was born one of us. He became a human being so that he could take the sin of the world, the brokenness of the world, and he could make it right by dying on a cross. And he had the prophets foretell this for years, promising to his chosen people, Israel, that there would come a Messiah, a Messiah that would, the anointed one, that would come and would change things. But like most of us, we get, they got fixated, and so do we, on things that were not God's primary focus. They got focused on their material wealth. They got focused upon their well-being. They got focused upon their political freedom. They got focused upon this world as opposed to the world being returned to what God had intended it to be in the first place. And so they were looking, Sister Jackie, for a Messiah who would deliver them from things that were about now instead of about eternity. And so they're looking for this Messiah because they're oppressed, they're suffering, they're hurting. They're looking for relief from what they're facing. Into that atmosphere, into that context, steps a man that the Scripture says was not an eye-catcher. He was not somebody that when he stepped into the room would immediately arrest your attention with his presence. He came from the backwaters of Israelite society. Galilee was a backwaters. It was 
the bucolic, the country, as opposed to Jerusalem and the urban. But he spoke in a way that they had never heard before. What arrested their attention was the power of his words. And so step by step, the Gospels tell us that he begins to collect followers. He begins to come to people and ask them. And he's very odd because he asks for all kinds of different followers. He picks fishermen. He picks political revolutionaries. He picks tax collectors. He picks guys hanging out under fig trees. He picks guys that are hot-headed. He picks guys that were so unremarkable, we don't know anything about them. The gospel story doesn't even tell us hardly anything about them because they were that unremarkable. And so he picks these, and he, and he also at the same time in a, a completely patriarchal society, he, he, he gathers women to him. He goes to wells and talks to women that nobody else will talk to, even other women won't talk to, because of their reputation. And Jesus says, I came here for you. He finds a woman possessed with seven devils, and he casts those devils out, and he releases her. Her name's Mary Magdalene. And so he, he reveals himself to these people, and he, he must have spoken in a manner that was so earth-shaking and so life-transforming because these people left their lives. The fishermen left their boats. The zealot left their revolution. The tax collector left his tax-collecting booth. And they follow him. And despite his words to them, they are fixated on how their life has been changed in the present. But over those three and a half years, they watch him heal thousands. They watch him feed thousands. They watch him walk on water. They watch him do miraculous things. They watch him reveal himself to them. But all the time, he says to them, I have to go away. But you've just come. I have to go away. But Lord, we've left everything to follow you. I have to go away. I'm going to die. Lord, we're not going to let that happen. You're the best thing since sliced cheese. I'm going to die. No, Lord. I'm going to die. I have to go away. But with that message came a promise. He said, even though I'm going to die, I will rise again. Now, let me break some news to you. To that group of people, they had no foggy idea what to think about that. You know about the resurrection. And if I told you I have to go away and I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise again in three days, even today, knowing the resurrection, y'all would look at me funny. So you can imagine how they were looking at it. 
Oh, they knew the Old Testament stories of <clears throat> bodies being thrown into an open grave where Elisha was and, and the dead man coming back, or excuse me, Elisha being thrown into a grave where a dead man was and the dead man coming to life. They knew a few of those, but, but they, they still didn't understand. Well, how does this man, how's this going to happen? How's this going to work? We don't understand. And so when Jesus actually was arrested and when Jesus actually was tried and when Jesus was actually crucified, guess what they did? They lost faith. They lost faith. Every single one of them lost faith. You can't find a single one. I know we try to lift up John because he was faithful to stay at the, at, at the cross and Mary because she was there. But I'm telling you, they all lost faith. They all went into hiding. They all were scared. Nobody was counting days. And the reason I know it is those that were brave enough to even go near where his body was, they were going there expecting to find a dead body. They were not going there to expect a risen Lord because they went there with spices to wrap his body with, to allow it to further decay without stinking. There was zero expectation about what Jesus had told them. They expected him to be dead. And you can go from Mary, where she goes, where have they moved his body? He's gone. Why didn't they think of what had been said to them? No, somebody stole his body. Unless you think that other disciples, once that first announcement happened, when Mary comes back to the disciples and says, the Lord is risen, because Jesus shows up, calls her by name, and says, I am risen. They don't believe. They run to see. And only two of them run to see. What were the rest of the jokers doing? Rolling over to go back to sleep? In the middle of a meal? Only Peter and John ran. And they ran because they doubted. They didn't run because they believed. They ran because they doubted. What does this woman know? This is the context of where I'd like to enter the story in John chapter 20 and verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So the immediate verses before this, Jesus has finally himself, like he did to Mary Magdalene, he has appeared to the disciples. He's walked into the room, he's revealed himself physically to them, and he's spoken with them. But Thomas wasn't there. So the disciples, when Thomas comes to the group, says, we have seen the Lord. Eyeballs have seen him. But he replied, I won't believe. I'm not going to believe it. You can say it all day long, but I'm not believing it. Your word is not enough. And remember, we like to kind of pile on the Thomas. He even has a nickname. What do we call him? We call him Doubting Thomas. That's unfair to Thomas. Let's just be honest. They all were doubting. To a person they were doubting. Every one of them didn't believe. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it unless I see 
the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and placed my hand into the wound in his side. Peter and John wanted to see too. That's why they ran to the, to the tomb. They peered in to see, did Mary really see this correctly? Because this can't be true. Jesus has told them. Jesus has promised it to them. You can read throughout the Gospels that repeatedly Jesus has communicated this to them, but his word was not enough. Eight days later, the disciples are together again. But this time, Thomas is with them. The doors are locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he turns directly to Thomas. He says, put your finger here. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God. And there's a whole lot packed into that statement by Thomas. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus says to him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without Seeing. I want to lift this concept just slightly out of the disbelief about the resurrection. And I want to transport us forward to other communication from God. Word alone. Where we say, God, in order to believe, I need to see. And Jesus challenges us. It's good that you believe when you see. But blessed are you when you believe without seeing. And so this morning for a few moments, if you'll give me my title slide, I want to explore with you believing the vision you cannot yet See, believing the vision you cannot yet see. I have two audiences that I want to address this morning. One, I want to address all of us that are struggling with believing the gospel. This fantastic promise that God loves you in spite of all that's wrong with you. I'm not here this morning to talk to those of you who are in denial and you think that you're good and you're holy and you're righteous because I can't do anything with that and I'm going to have to leave you to struggle with yourself to figure out what you're going to do with that because that's not real. We humans are not basically good. You say, well, I'm not Vladimir Putin. Okay. Well, I'm not Adolf Hitler. Really? That's our bar? 
Have you ever felt anger when somebody cut you off on the highway? What's wrong with you? Have you ever had a wrong thought come through your mind? Unsolicited. No reason. It's just there. But you're basically good. Now, I'm not here this morning to make everybody feel bad. I just want us to be real with ourselves. We are broken. We are sinners. Bad stuff has been done to us. It's messed us up. Sometimes we've tried to rise above it and have done pretty well if we compare among ourselves. But usually we end up doing bad stuff ourselves. Sometimes intentionally and most of the time unintentionally. And then we hurt others. My wife has a saying she likes to say, which is, hurt people hurt people. Bill, check the thermostat. I am hot. What do you got it at? Oh, well, then leave it alone. That's where it's supposed to be. <sighs> All right, I just got to lose my coat because <laughs> I'm hot. <laughs> so there we go. So it's not at 69. Then it's not. You got to turn on the air then. Thank you. I knew it couldn't. I didn't feel like 69. All right. So we're broke. We're messed up. And God comes in and says, I love you. And if you have any degree of honesty, you doubt that. Why would you believe that a righteous and holy God would love you? How can he be pleased with me? How can he die for me? How is this possible? Because I am messed up and I'm undone and I keep doing things that ratify that status. I don't want to, but I'm with the Apostle Paul. Every time I go to do right, sin is present with me. I want to do right and I do wrong. I want to avoid wrong and I do it anyway. Anybody with me? Horrible things have been done to us. And we have responded to those horrible things. My heart breaks right now because we are supposed to be going into a summer of rage. And there's no way out of it. There's no human solution out of this. Because we're murdering our babies. But we've also grown up with women being abused and misused. we got scenarios that I don't even know the answer to. What are we to do in the case of rape? What are we to do in the case of a father molesting his daughter? This is horrific. This is not something for us as Christians to be glib about nor to stand on some kind of high place of righteousness. No, it's a broken world. And in what world would this righteous God love me? <laughs> and yet, he keeps beaming that signal out. I love you. I love you. 
I died for you. Greater love hath no man, no one, than to lay down his life for his friends. I laid down my life for you. I know you've done wrong. I know wrong has been done to you. But I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I can fill you with my spirit. I can take your sins away. I can make you holy and pure. I can perform the miracles that you don't know how I can perform. But like the disciples, all of us find ourselves in this place where we are struggling to believe. The vision that we cannot yet see. There is a play on words here. You see, the problem is, is that believing is basically, another way to put it is, is to have faith. Believing is a verb, and faith is a noun. It's the exact same word. One's noun form. One's verb form. If I believe something, I have faith. If I have faith, I believe something. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 tells us that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So please understand something. That the reality is that vision as I'm using it today, vision is only what God can see. We can't yet see it. And yet he communicates it to us. Jesus knew he was going to die. And he was going to rise again three days later. The disciples could not see this. They could not wrap their minds around this. And so they struggled to believe. And yet Jesus looked at Thomas, who was not doubting Thomas. They were all doubting. And he said, I'm glad you now believe since I've died, since I've risen from the dead, since you now can put your finger in my hand, now that you put your hand in my side, now you believe because you see. But blessed are those who will believe without seeing. What Jesus basically did was give a recipe for faith. That's why he said to Thomas, it is time for you to stop being faithless and believe. But it is one thing, hear me, dear saint of God, it is one thing to believe when God finally comes through. And it's another thing to believe his word when he hasn't yet come through. When you wake up after the day that you engaged in pornography and once again feel the crushing weight of your sin, he still loves you. When you wake up to the crushing weight as some of you within my audience right now, statistics say some of you have in the past made a choice to end the life of one of your babies. And that crushing Reality comes into you. How can he love me? I don't need to be nasty to the protesters. They're hurting. And I certainly am not going to get in their face and scream. They're hurting. Those of you that have committed adultery or fornication, those of you that are struggling to be honest, Those of you that have cheated on your taxes. I mean, I could just keep going on and on and on. All of our brokenness. We are broken. 
We are sinners. I'm not saying it's okay that we're sinners, but I'm here today to tell you that the word of God is crystal clear. I have come to seek and I have come to save the lost. I love the sinner. I love the sinner. I love this world so much that I gave my life on cross, on a cross so that you could be saved. This is the word of God. And now how do I get to believing the vision I cannot yet see? And yeah, we preachers haven't done a very good job because we don't want to give you permission to keep on sinning. As if we are in any way going to have that level of control. Paul says, I have been given a message of reconciliation. I have been given a message that come and beg you and plead with you, be reconciled to God. Would you hear the voice of the master who says, even as you're still broken, even as you're still sinning, even as you're still struggling, I love you. I love you. If you'll repent of your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. If you'll go down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, my name is a mighty strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. I will wash away those sins. I will forgive you of your sins. If you will call out to me and ask me, I will fill you with my spirit. But it's taken so long, I haven't yet received it. How do I? You've got to choose whether you're going to believe the vision that you cannot yet see. I choose to believe the vision. I've been very open with this congregation that I grew up in the church. I've never not known God. I received the Holy Spirit when I was six years old. That means by definition, now all of you that came to the Lord after you sowed a lot of wild oats, you're going to have to wrap your brain around this. That means there is no substantial sin I have ever committed in my life that I did not commit after I was filled with His Spirit. There are those who would look at me and say, that doesn't work and you are lost. I choose to believe the vision I cannot yet see. The reason that I preach with the empathy I preach with, the reason that you feel me touch you in those broken places is because I have chosen to believe the vision that is spoken by the word that is not yet fully complete in my own life. My brokenness does not define his work. My sin does not defeat his grace. That which is coming to pass, that which is going to be brought to completion, is not, is not impossible just because I can't yet see it. Am I giving us an excuse to sin? God forbid. That is not the point. But the point is, is that when you are broken, when you are sinning, when you are dealing with the effects of Adam and Eve's choice and your choices and your grandparents' choices and your brothers' and sisters' choices and all of the world around you's choices, I'm here to tell you that the Word of God 
casts a vision. And it's a vision that we cannot yet see. But faith is the evidence of what we're hoping for. It's the proof of what we cannot yet see. Hear the voice of Jesus to doubting disciples before you when he said, Stop being faithless. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. I believe the gospel. I have staked my life on it. And I say to all of you, so should you. You're not going to find condemnation at an altar where Jesus is. You'll find condemnation from human hands and human voice, but you're not going to find it with Jesus. I can take you to passage after passage. They bring an adulterous woman, throw him at his feet. They want him to condemn her. (laughs) First thing Jesus does is gets all the judges, and he condemns them. You want to know how you'll be condemned? By judging. That's how you're going to be condemned. It's by judging, by not forgiving. Then he looks at the woman and he says, I don't want you sinning anymore. You need to stop sinning. This is kind of like the epistle of John. You all know it. John says, if you say that, you, that you're, I'm paraphrasing, if you, if you say that you sin and serve God, you're lying. Truth's not in you. And some of you are going, see? How's this going to work? But then the very next verse is he says, oh, by the way, again, this is a paraphrase. You go read it, First John. He then turns around and he says, oh, by the way, if you say that you haven't sinned, you're a liar, and the truth's not in you. Okay, this is a true catch-22. On the one hand, if I sin and I say I'm serving God, I'm a liar, and the truth's not in me. If I say that I haven't sinned, you know, I've arrived, which, by the way, some of us preachers have given you that impression. I am sorry. I still sin. Did everybody hear me? And every single pastor who says that they do not, they are a liar, and the truth is not in them. And I am not saying that from my judgment. I say that from John's judgment. That is the scriptures. We all still sin and fall short of the glory of God. But don't stop there. Because the next thing he says, when you sin... You have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. You have a promise. You have somebody who will enter in and make it right on your behalf. I don't see that yet. So how do we believe? You choose. You choose. I remember as I struggled with some that I've been very transparent with you. As I struggled with some of my sins, one time my dad looked at me, and my dad has always struggled with this because my dad served. He was outside. He was out in the world for many, many years before he came to God. He did all kinds of sins, and he had no desire to go back to them. And he couldn't wrap his brain around how how does this work? Because this boy grew up in the church, and he should be able to avoid sin. I've wanted that for my kids too, but that's not how this works. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. What part of all and none did we not get? Thank God I was filled with his spirit at six years old. Thank God I had God to turn to through all this. Where would I be if I hadn't had God? 
This is not a bad thing. But parents, you gotta, you got to wrap your brain around it. Your kids are going to have to work this out between them and Jesus. And they're going to be broke because the only way you get saved is if you own up to that you're broke. My dad looked at me and said, how did you keep coming to church? Where else would I go? So I just kept believing. It was hard. It continues to be hard. But I keep believing. I keep choosing to believe that his word is true. And even though the vision he has articulated in his word, I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be flawless. I'm going to be without sin. I'm going to be white. I'm going to be clean. I'm going to be pure. All of this, and I can't even imagine how this is going to happen. I can't yet see it. I choose to believe the word that articulates the vision that I I cannot yet see. So to all of us, we need to believe the gospel. Now, I'm going to pivot because there's a second part I need to deal with. It applies to all of us, but some of you are going to have more knowledge or understanding of it. God has plans that are bigger than our plans. He says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are bigger than your ways. In other words, he sees things. I'm going to adapt a verse. It says, he speaks things which are not as though they were. Can I argue to you something that even before he speaks it, he sees things which are not as though they were? He sees them, and he articulates them because he knows the moment he speaks them, it's as good as done. But the problem is, is that we live inside of time. So there are discrepancies between when God speaks something and when it actually comes to pass that we can see it. There's time delay. And boy, do we have trouble with it. The father of the faithful, let's just use him as an example. The father of the faithful, Abraham, is told by God, you will be the father of a great nation. You will be the father of a great nation. Well, in order to be a father of a great nation, you have to have at least one son. Sorry, ladies, girls didn't count back then. I didn't say it, but it's just the way it worked, okay? You know that. The father, the lineage came down through the mail, okay? It's stupid. It's dumb. But it was what it was. Year after year goes by after God spoke the promise, and there's no child. Abraham struggled to believe the vision that he could not yet see. Do you know how I know he struggled? Because he tried to help God out. He tried to help God out, didn't he? You all know the story. He tried to help God out. So he goes into a concubine. By the way, Sarah tried to help too. So don't be feeling all bad towards Father Abraham because he went and had sex with Hagar. Sarah was the one who gave him the idea. Now, Abraham should have told her just like Job did his wife and just like Adam should have told his wife, woman, I'm not listening to you. 
Because it's not consistent with the word of God. It got nothing to do with you being a woman. It's got to do with you're not consistent with the word of God. But Abraham didn't do that. Because Abraham was worrying. Abraham was doubting. He was having trouble choosing to believe. Because every year goes by and he's older and older. So he has a baby by a concubine. And he tries to negotiate with God that this be the promised son. God says, absolutely not. God didn't reject Ishmael. In fact, God blessed Ishmael. God made him a mighty nation, took care of him, took care of his mother. But God said, you don't understand. When I speak something, just because you can't yet see it, does not mean it isn't going to happen. In fact, from my vantage point outside of time, it has already happened. So the only choice you and I have is whether we're going to choose to believe. You see, he's already made you holy. Margaret, you're already holy. You're already pure. You're already saved. See, man, I don't feel like it. I know. Neither do I. But you're already there because God has spoken it. And we choose to believe the vision we cannot yet see. So here we sit this morning. We sit in the middle of a year of transition. And God has spoken some visions. And we don't see them yet. (laughs) Anybody been counting noses? Come on now, don't lie to me. Anybody been counting noses? You know you have. Don't tell me you haven't. You have. God, you made this promise. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to be on the cusp of, right before cut, we're supposed to be on the cusp of two services. You, you spoke visions. Where are you? Then, Lord, you speak to our pastor and you yank him away from us. You abandoning us, Lord? Come on now. Don't tell me you haven't thought some of this. Because I know if I have, you have. Oh, yeah, you were with me on the salvation bit. And by the way, stay with me on the salvation bit. But no, 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 we, we got to deal with the reality right here, right now. God speaks things which are not as though they were. He gives visions of things that are not yet seeable. And we have to choose what we're going to do with that. I I, I like this one pastor, man. What are you talking about? Multiple pastors. By the way, have you looked at who they are? I mean, you were enough to deal with, but them? Now, I'm not going to say that all of you have thought that, but some of you have. Some of you have and have left. Oh, yeah. Steve's going there. Steve's, Steve's. Hi, everybody. I'm still Steve. I know I haven't been preaching in a while, but I'm still Steve. I, I, I still, I still Steve. I still go there. Lil's tugging at her, at her neckline right now. She's like, oh, Lordy, here he goes. I haven't seen her do this yet, but. No, let's, let's, lay all, let's lay all our doubts out. 
let's, let's put them out here, okay? Let's, let's put them out here. Let's, let, let's lay them out because they're my doubts. If anybody has reason to doubt the pastoral team, I do, because I know all the, I know everything's wrong with them. I've been working with them for, well, some of them I've been working at with for decades. I've been working with every one of them for at least a decade. Okay, God, you want this church to shift from pastor-centric to team model. But that means the people have to engage in evangelism. That means the people have to engage in pastoral care. We call it member care, but that's what it is. You're caring for one another. Well, Lord, I don't see signs. How's that going to work? We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Vision spoken by God, but I can't yet see it. Oh, by the way, while we're doing it, let's just be totally transparent. Meanwhile, I'm out of a job. So lest you all think you're in this boat, this crazy boat, all alone. I'm out of a job. This path we're walking, I'm out of a job. At the most expensive point in my life, four of my five children are in college. And I'm out of a job. And you don't know this, I, but I'm going to tell you this morning. And God says to me, already got it taken care of. And I'm like, okay, I can't see it. I can't see it. Where? Thomas, I'm really glad that you see my nail-scarred hands. You put your finger in my hand. You see my side, and you can put your hand in my, in my wound. And now you call me your Lord and your God. Now you believe. But Thomas, what I'm really looking for is I'm looking for believers <laughs> who will choose to take me at my word for the vision I communicate, but they cannot yet see it. I listened Thursday night. Again, I encourage you to do this. And by the way, this sermon was not a response to that, but rather that fed it. But Thursday night, Brother Scott Sistrunk talked about that we, we rejoice when we complete a vision. And what you all don't know when you listen to that sermon, if you haven't already, is that Zechariah 4.6 is an incredibly important text of Scripture in my life because it's the Zach 4 principle. It's from Bible quizzing. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And I have had it beat into my head since I was a little boy. 
that you take everything, every effort you've ever done, and you put it behind you. It's not by might nor by power. It's not that you don't do everything that you can, but then you take it and you put it behind you, and you lift your hand up to God, and you say, it's by your spirit. Lest the Lord build the house, they that labor do labor in vain. Lest the Lord is caring for my family, I can't take care of my family. Lest the Lord is involved, okay? But I did not put together, and I'm one that preaches tons of sermons like this, I did not put together that the, the, the plumb line, the measuring, and the beginning comes after that verse. And the verse says that the Lord rejoices when the work begins. You see, I'm going to rejoice when you have multiple services. I'm going to rejoice when you have multiple campuses. I'm going to rejoice when you've got a senior pastoral team of 11. I'm going to rejoice when you've got pastoral team of 22. I'm going to rejoice when everything's blowing and going. I'm going to rejoice when the work is being completed. But the scripture says that God is already dancing because there are a few crazy people who are willing to hear the vision and are willing to choose to believe even though they cannot yet see it. That's you. You're the crazy people. You're the crazy people. I'm the crazy person, and I feel crazy. I feel like I'm losing my mind. I'm like, God, this makes no sense. Just like it makes no sense that he loves me. It makes no sense that he's going to make me pure and holy. It makes no sense that he's going to redeem me and make me righteous because I'm broken and I'm falling down. But that same God who says I have all power in heaven and earth, that same God who says my grace is sufficient for thee, that same God who says my grace abounds more and more as sin multiplies, that same God is the one who says, if my people, which are called by my name, will hear my word and will be obedient to what I tell them to do, who will choose to believe me when they cannot yet see what I have articulated to them, that's when I'm going to dance because I already know that if they'll start, I will finish. I know that if they'll come to an altar of repentance, I will forgive their sins. I know that if they'll go down in the waters of baptism, I will remove their sins. I know that if they'll worship me, I will take over their tongue and their lips and they'll speak in other tongues. I know that if they'll follow the leading of my spirit, I will do what I will do for I am the Lord God Almighty. So today, I come to you in the midst of my doubt. So you can't do this. This doesn't work if you have no doubt because you don't have to believe. Thomas didn't have to believe anymore. Jesus is standing there and his fingers in his hand and his hands in his side. He didn't have to believe anymore. What do you have to believe for? It's already brought. It's already happened. No, in the midst of my doubt, I'm choosing, choosing to believe in all of you. You're going to do this. I'm choosing to believe in the God who has spoken the vision to us. I'm choosing to believe in the senior pastoral team, which is going to lead you. I'm choosing to believe in every ministry coordinator, that they're going to grow and lead you. I'm choosing to believe in every one of you that you're going to begin to care for one another. Not worrying about what the pastoral team's doing, but yourselves responding. You hear somebody sick, you're responding to them. I'm going to choose to believe that you're going to invite your neighbors to a small group. I'm going to choose to believe that you're going to let your light shine. I'm going to choose to believe the vision God has given. I'm going to believe the vision I, I can't yet see. 
So this morning, Caleb, if you'd come or whoever's supposed to come. So this morning, I ask you a simple question. Will anybody choose with me? Now, let me tell you how simple this is. Your doubts don't go away. If they did, you wouldn't have to believe. In fact, for all of you that have no doubts, I'm sorry, but you can't do this with me this morning. I don't know if you're daft in the head or what's wrong with you, but if you don't have doubts, you can't do this this morning. But everybody that's got doubts, I know this is a crazy altar call. When's the last time you ever heard somebody call for everybody who doubts to come to the altar? (laughs) Normally, we call for everybody who believes, right? They even call it, we don't hear because we know it, but they call it the prayer of faith. No, I want you to come pray the prayer of doubt. (laughs) I'm not playing with you. I'm being straight up with you. If you're doubting this God, which I am, I'm not going to ask you to out yourself, but I am. And it's funny how many people, when I'm honest with them about it, they reprimand me. You shouldn't be doubting. The question isn't whether you doubt. The question is what do you do after you doubt? That's the question. And that, ladies and gentlemen, you all know, this crazy boy is marching ahead. There is no stopping. I'm doubting out the wazoo. But here we go, Jesus. You gave us the vision. I have no idea how this is going to happen. I can't see it yet, but I'm going to obey. I'm going to take the next step. Whatever the cost is, I'm going to take the next step. If you're here and you have sin to be repented of, and you're sure that he can't forgive you, I understand the doubt. Get up and come to the altar one more time and say, God, forgive me of my sins. It's not about whether you doubt. It's a matter whether you choose to believe. And believing doesn't take away doubt. Believing is that which moves you to take action in spite of your doubts. So today, I probably will spike tomorrow. Sister Wendy, I'm probably going to go home and be all depressed tomorrow. But today, I'm choosing to believe. And you know what I'll do at the end of tomorrow, Lil? If I do go down in the dumps and I'm all that, you know what I'm going to do at the end of it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull myself up and I'm going to say, I'm choosing to believe again. And on Tuesday, I'm going to get up and say, I'm choosing to believe. This is the story of Abraham and every other hero of faith. In spite of their doubts, they chose to believe. That's why James says, don't tell me you believe. You'll show me that you believe by what you do. So, are you still counting noses, or are you going to figure out what you're going to do? Because, you see, Gideon tells us that the Lord sometimes, he sometimes shrinks the army before he brings victory. I don't like that. I like to swell the army before he brings victory. How about you? I feel stronger when the army's bigger. 
<laughs> I don't like the Gideon story. 32,000? Nah, that's too big. 20,000 aren't gone home. Down to 300? Lord, do you know how many thousands of Amalekites there are? Or Midianites, excuse me, not Amalekites, but Midianites. How many thousands of Midianites there are? And God just says, it's not about the numbers. It's about the obedience. And God's dancing a jig right now. Do you know why he's dancing a jig? Because I believe in you. And you believe in me. And we are doing something. And he's going to respond to it. Are you doubting? Oh, I lost my... There it is. Mar, mute me. Oh, it's Scott. There we go. All right. You're not supposed to run and shout right now. You're supposed to make a choice. I asked God, how's this going to end today? First of all, I know it's going to preach long. So just make peace with the fact that I preach long. But you don't have long in the altar. All you have to do is choose. Today, I'm going to believe. Altar's open. Doubters, please come. I, I mean, I'm being funny, but I'm not being funny. Doubters, please come. And on this one, I really am asking, don't stay in your pew. I want everybody to come. Now, I know that creates pressure, and some of you won't be honest, but I, I want everybody who's doubting a little bit, who's struggling a little bit to believe. By the way, this can have to do with your own life. God may have spoken something to you in particular, and you're doubting that too. Would you step into this place? We don't have to take a long time. But can you just simply look at the God who has spoken vision into your life and say, God, I'm choosing today to believe you. I'm going to choose today to believe you. I don't have the answer. I can't see it. But I'm going to choose today to believe you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I choose today to believe you. I'm going to believe the vision that I cannot yet see. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I place my hope in you, Lord. Oh, I place my hope in you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He who has begun a work will be faithful to bring it to completion. Lord, I choose. I choose. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I choose to believe that you forgive me. I choose to believe that your blood is applied in baptism in your name. I choose to believe that you have your spirit for me and that I can be filled with the power from on high. I choose to believe, Lord Jesus, that you are guiding this church. I choose to believe that every member in this church will play its role 